I worked in youth ministry for over 20 years. And yeah, man, Brett was actually, I knew Brett when he was in sixth grade in my youth group. I know you're like, whoa, that's odd. Yes, that makes me old. Um, it, it's funny because I thought, and I can say it mistakenly, when I had kids and they were teenagers, I'll know what to do. <laughs> oh, you have teenagers. <laughs> Right? I thought because I worked in, in youth group for 20 years, I, I should know what I'm doing, how to do this. And, and to some degree, there was things I expected and knew. But um, I, I, what I didn't really understand was um, how, I guess, to communicate. When you're communicating at youth group, it seems to flow. It seems easy. You know, when you're coming back on a, a bus from Lake Champion, you're having all these conversations. But having teenagers of my own... I've realized that I'm like, hey, how was, and good. Oh, what happened? Nothing. Anybody else have this before? Experienced this before? Okay, cool. Uh, teenagers, give me a second. Like, this is you, correct? This is what we do? Okay, yes, okay. Um, it, it's funny, if, if you have some sort of issue that you're dealing with, and you are, like, physically carrying it, and we see it all over you, and it's like, hey, how are you doing? I'm fine. Seem fine. I'm fine. And, and if you don't know, and your kids are little, if you have kids, um, and they say, I'm fine, or I don't want to talk about it, because the natural response is like, hey, what's going on? You want to talk? No, I don't want to talk about it. Let me tell you what that's code for, okay? Because you're normally going to get, mm, I'm fine, or this is what that means. It means, leave me alone. It means I don't like the topic that we're talking about, and I don't want to talk about it with you. And if we don't talk about it together, I won't have to deal with it. So you shut your mouth and don't talk about it, so I don't have to talk about it, and then get all emotional. So if we pretend it doesn't exist, and I can blow you off pretty quick, then we'll be fine. So let's just, I'm fine. That, that's really what that means summed up in, I'm fine. I don't want to talk about it. What I've come to realize, though, is this is not a teenage problem, is it? Uh-huh. Right? How many of us, when, when people are asking, how are you? Are you doing okay? And we say, yeah, I'm fine. I'm fine. But what are we really saying? Back off. I don't want to talk about anything right now. I am not in the place where I want to deal with whatever this is. And I think if we're being honest to some degree with ourselves... When we're not 100% comfortable with an issue and there's something we want to avoid, what we quickly do is I'm fine it, we push it down, we push it aside so that we don't have to deal with it and we section it off thinking, I don't have to deal with it. I don't want to do this. Unfortunately, here's what happens when we do that. What we, what we do is we neg neglect to realize when we do this, we're basically handcuffing ourselves. Because there's something big that's going on, and we end up taking these issues that we have, and instead of enjoying the life that we have, we're bound to these things that we don't want to talk about, and, and it's just topics that we don't want to deal with all the time. When you're not doing well in your marriage, and someone's like, ah, how's your spouse doing? You're like, Nrr. When you and your friends are at odds in school, and you don't even want to be around them, how's that going? Oh, I'm fine. I'm fine. 
We don't want to talk about when there's money issues or sex issues or dealing with our own sexuality and what happens there. All the fears and all the anxieties that we carry from work and being in our neighborhoods. And we are sitting there going, I don't know what to do with this. And God forbid someone says, hey, how's your walk with Jesus going? And you're like, Um, let's pretend you didn't ask me that one because we don't want to talk about things that make us uncomfortable sometimes. Because we just don't like it. It's uncomfortable, and so it's easier to push those things aside and just say, I'm fine, and hope that it never comes up again. I, I know that I do this. I'm going to make an assumption that, that you do this as well. This is a problem that we have is we don't want to deal with things. And what happens? We may look fine on the surface to most people around us, but we are nothing but tethered to our pain nothing but handcuffed and shackled to enjoying the life that I believe God has for us, this abundant life, but we just, it's easier to push the things aside and not want to deal with them. The question that I, I want to explore as we continue in our series when people meet Jesus is, what's it take to be free from the shackles? What's it take to be free from these issues that, that are just under the surface that we don't want to deal with? Because I'm convinced that allowing Jesus to enter into these areas that we're hiding from is the only way that we're going to find true freedom from what binds us. It is only through an encounter with Jesus. And the good news is this. You and I are not the first people that are ever going to have to deal with this. This is not new to humanity. This has been happening for hundreds and hundreds and thousands of years. And Jesus himself in the story that bread read for us has this amazing opportunity to bring light and to bring freedom to the shackles that bound. And if you have your Bibles with you, I, I love that passage from Mark chapter 5. Um, this is a biography of Jesus written by Mark. And if you've never read the Bible before, I would highly suggest reading this biography about Jesus because it's like the Reader's Digest version of Jesus' story. Lots of short, packed action that goes all the way through. Um, if you're a detail-oriented person, go back to Luke. We did that last week. You can have fun with that one. But this is great because it's all these short things that are packed together, and I'm excited because we're reading it this summer uh, together as a church. And so while this story that we're looking at, what you should know is it falls very early on in the, the ministry of Jesus. So he has um, done some miracles and he's helped people walk through some pretty big issues of their life. And he's gathered this following. His teaching seems to be quite effective. And so the following continues to grow. But this is like the first year. And so people are still catching word, but as they come, the masses begin to grow. And so what he does is he kind of decides one night, like, I, I just need to pause for a second. And his disciples who have been with him the whole time have kind of understood. He's had authority over sickness and disease and, and demons. And then he's even kind of stuck it to the religious leaders a couple times. And they're like, yeah, that's my boy, you know. But he's, Jesus, is overwhelmed by the amount of people. He's actually been in a boat teaching at this point because there's too many. And it's the only way he could be heard. And he looks to his disciples and he's like, guys we got to go to the other side of the lake. Like, let's just get out of here for a little bit. And any time in the scriptures you read someone is going to the other side of the lake, this is, at least in uh, Jesus's context, where the enemy lives. This is where Gentiles are, and you don't willingly just go to the other side of the lake. You avoid the other side of the lake. But Jesus is saying to his disciples, let's just go. My guess is they're probably a little bit on edge. 
But they are obedient to Jesus. They get into their boat. These are seasoned veteran fishermen for the most part. They all get in, they push off to sea, and as they push off to sea, something happens that really, if you've ever been in the geographical area of the Sea of Galilee, you would, you would see this, that there's kind of like mountains on the side, and there's this tunnel almost into the sea, and then mountains on the outside around the sea. It's a beautiful, beautiful region. The problem with that is when wind kicks up and funnels into that little tunnel, for the you engineering type, physics types, you, you, you already know where this is going. When that wind goes in, it starts to just swirl and you cannot, it just doesn't just disappear. It begins to create like a vortex and on that sea, out of nowhere, while the fishermen are out with Jesus, him and his disciples come across a squall. It comes out of nowhere and squalls are terrifying in the middle of a sea because this will capsize a boat. They're not like our boats. These were just long 12, 14 foot boats. They could be done, but they're not. They start freaking out. The rain, the rain is coming down. The wind is blowing, and they're trying to bail. They're doing it again. And they're, what are you doing? What are you doing? And there's one voice they don't hear, and it's the voice of Jesus. And so in panic, they're like, where is he? What happens? And they look, and they see him sleeping in the back of the boat. Some people say it's because he was so comfortable, and he had all peace. If you read his story, you realize my man was exhausted. He just spent all this time praying and healing people and doing you know amazing miracles he's exhausted he's wiped and he's asleep out of pure exhaustion in the back of the boat at least in my brain he's, he's exhausted and so they go to wake him up and they're like jesus jesus we're gonna die if you and he stands up he looks out and says quiet be still if i'm one of the disciples i think he's talking to me and that's one of those but something happens, and it's not the disciples that he's talking to. He is speaking to nature and to the weather itself. And in a region where that wind doesn't just go away, where the rain doesn't just stop, it does. And a complete calmness comes over the sea. And when he does that, he turns to his disciples and he says, Why do you have such little faith? Why do you have such little faith? Why are you so afraid? And I find this fascinating because they were terrified, absolutely terrified. And in this moment, they've seen all these miracles and seen Jesus's words. They believe, right, that, that he can change human lives. But now his words have just changed nature. I would be terrified. Who is this man that doesn't just change people's lives, but changes nature? And they are like on edge at this moment. What are they going to do? And this is the moment that we enter into that passage Brett read for us where they kind of creep up onto shore on the other side of the lake. Overwhelmed disciples and Jesus, this is how it reads in verses 1 and 2. It says, so they arrived at the other side of the lake in the region of the Gerasenes. When Jesus climbed out of the boat, a man possessed by an evil spirit came out of the tombs to meet him. Now, I, I love the way Mark starts this passage, and this is one of my favorite passages in all of the Bible. Uh, I just, there's so much in here that I get so excited each time. But Mark is hysterical because he's like, Jesus gets out of the boat, and in the garrisons, there's a man with an evil spirit who comes to meet him. 
is this the Garrison's greeting committee? Is this like, welcome to Delaware, and you stop at the place? Is this, welcome to the Garrison's. Here's your demonized man. Go home. You know, like, what is the point? I just crack up when I think about this. But Mark goes on, and he describes this man who has run to meet Jesus. And what's great is both the biographers, Luke and Matthew, include this story in their biographies of Jesus. And they also create some context to give us some details about this man that are not just found in Luke or found in Mark. And so when you put together, let me explain to you the welcoming committee of the Gerasenes. This is the man that is coming to meet Jesus. And it tells us that for a long time, the man was naked. He had no home to live in. He was so messed up, they would not let him live anywhere near the village that he was in. And so what they did was they sectioned him off into the tombs. He was disruptive. He was dysfunctional. He was violent. And because of that, they made him live where only dead people were. You can't kill them. They're already dead. They didn't know what to do to control him, and so they began to take iron shackles and and bolt these around him and then bolt him to the walls of the tombs, but he breaks through these. He breaks through iron shackles. Can you believe this? He will not listen to them. He will not obey them. He won't sit still. Things just get so bad, and he's tearing apart the very things that they want to keep him in place. But that's not the worst part. What scared the garbage out of the villagers, it was those nights. Those nights when a man that you've sectioned off becomes so in pain that he begins to take the rocks and the stones from in there and cut himself for some relief. And self-mutilation and harm becomes his story. And his howls go through the village. I imagine he becomes the example that parents are saying, If you don't listen, you're going to be like that guy, right? He becomes the scare tactic and the fear that would be involved in who this man is. He's not put together. He's angry. He's got uncontrolled rage against others, against himself. And Mark tells us this is the man who came to meet Jesus. How do you meet someone like that? Hi. How do you greet them? How do you handle this if you're Jesus? Actually, it's funny to think in my brain, how do you handle this if you're one of his disciples? What are his disciples supposed to do in this moment? I I imagine them because I think they're looking at this guy going, I knew the other side of the lake was a bad idea. Here's this guy who looks, who smells, and acts different than anyone else that you've ever met. And this dude, it tells us, is running at Jesus. He's not strolling up to greet him. And this is the point where in our country we're familiar if there's a person of authority and someone goes running at them, the Secret Service steps in, right? There's people you didn't even know existed that are like, no, um, not not like this because that's not going to stop anybody. Um, But you got fishermen here that you think they'd step in. But can I tell you something about the disciples? They're not Secret Service people. The only people that they stand up to are women and children. We'll talk about that next week. They have no guts, no chutzpah. Nothing. So they're not going to step. As a matter of fact, I think if, if, if I'm a disciple, I'm just being honest, when Jesus, it says, got out of the boat, it doesn't tell us the disciples did. I bet you they're all like one foot on shore, one foot in boat, 
and then this guy comes running, and they're like, thank you, no thank you. I'm getting back in. Like, I have no desire to be at this land. And here, what happens is, is this guy sees Jesus, and he barrels towards them, and he slides towards him on his knees. And it says that he bowed before him, and as loud as he can, this is what he screams at Jesus. He says, why are you interfering with me, Jesus? Son of God, Son of the Most High God, in the name of God, I beg you, don't torture me. Ooh, did you feel that? Could you imagine what the disciples feel, what Jesus feels? Jesus has no fear. And the voice that's screaming out from this man is not his own. And Jesus recognizes that. This is a voice of a demon who has inhabited himself into this man. And whenever a demonic spirit comes in contact with Jesus, or even the name of Jesus, what you're going to find is avoidance. You're going to find fear. You're going to find pleading are usually all things that are involved. And you see, this guy outside the village had never had to submit to anybody inside the village. A life of submission is not one he understood or knew at all. If he had issues, he would just overcome them with brute force. He would scare them and use fear. But Jesus is not intimidated, is he? He knows why God has sent him. He understands what he's supposed to do. And the problem for this man is so do the demons. They know what Jesus is here to do. And immediately the, the, Jesus tells the demon who is the spirit that's in this man, listen, you need to come out. You, you need to just be done with this. And says, wait, how many of you are there? And the man in his voice says that uh, my name is Legion, for they are many. And this guy isn't dealing with just one problem, okay? He's dealing with a ton of them. Legion is not a spiritual term that's special. It's actually a military term that the Romans used. And it would be understood by everybody in that culture and conversation. It was used uh, centuries before this man, centuries after them. And it just means many. It just mean, means many. And, and the Romans, when they had a legion uh, in their army, it, just, it actually meant thousands. That's what they started to use. Like, there's thousands of people. There's a legion of them. This man... When the demon announces his name, is not saying, I deal with a problem. He's saying, I, I've got thousands of things going on. I'm just not fighting a battle. There is a war going on inside me. This poor man has been riddled and pushed aside. And, and how many of us in this room can relate to this, right? You don't feel like there's a single problem in your life. You feel like there's a war all the time going on, constant tension, right? You know what you want to do, but you can't seem to do it. And at the same time, you know how you don't want to act, but that's what you find yourself doing anyway, and you're caught. I love that the Apostle Paul, when he writes to the church in Rome, talks about this. He says, I get it. I find myself in this battle in Romans chapter 7. He says, this happens all the time to people all over the Bible. And so if you're here and you're thinking that you are not alone in that tension, all of us deal with this. And it's usually never just one issue that we have to deal with. It's tons of stuff going on. And if you're listening right now online, in person, and you're saying to yourself, I feel that, does that mean I've got legion inside me? No. No, there's, there's likely not a thousand demons sitting inside you right now fighting uh, constantly and yelling out when you don't know. I, I don't think that's, that's what this is about here. That's not the problem. Do I think that this does happen and does exist for sure? But you can't just go around being like demon, 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 demon. Like, no, 
you sneezed. It's not a demon. It was a cold. Like, that happens. But the point of this is, is there is a war going on, and this man has, doesn't have a fair fight. If you feel like you're constantly in a battle and there's not a fair fight, there may be something to explore in that region going, Jesus, what do I do with this? But this man has no chance. There is no fight in him. This man is an extreme example of what a war looks like going on inside us. He is tired, he is beaten, he is bruised, and my guess, he, he's been ready to give up for a while. And now he finds himself at the feet of Jesus, this Jewish guy from the other side of the lake. And the demons inside him who have a name are begging Jesus, don't destroy us because it is within his power to do that. He is king. And in verse 12, we see the turning moment of this passage. And in verse 12, this is when we understand, again, the power that Jesus holds. The 12 demons ask for permission, or in verse 12, the demons ask for permission to go into the pigs on the hillside. And they, they, they say, we're just going to go there. Jesus is like, go ahead, go ahead. And when is the last time this guy has ever asked for permission? When is the last time he asked for anything? If he wanted something, he would just take it. Everyone's scared of him. Permission was not an issue for this man, but these demons now know who they're dealing with, and Jesus grants them their request. Go ahead, just go into the, go into the pigs. And I'll be honest, do you ever read stories of the Bible that just bug you? If the answer is not yes, you've not read the Bible. <laughs> Let me tell you, there's things that bug us all over the place. I think I don't, that don't make sense. This is one that doesn't make sense to me when it's like, oh, we'll go into the pigs. It's like, yeah, go ahead, fine. And then they, I mean, you read in the story that they all like run off a cliff and commit suicide. And it's just this really odd image and, and part of this story. And I'm like, why is that death okay? Like this was something important to these people and you're just cool with that? I, it's, I'd love to say, I'm gonna ask God about that when I go to heaven, but I'm not gonna care when I go to heaven about that. But now it bugs me a little bit. I'm like, why would you do this? And so I've asked that. I'm like, why would you do this? And as I look at the way the story unfolds, I think that honestly, Jesus does it out of nothing but compassion for this man. That the man's life in his wrestling match was more important than anything else that was going on at that point. And he knew the outcome of what the outcome of the demons would be. He knew that, that the pigs would all go off and commit suicide. But in this moment, his heart is not necessarily there. It's right in front of him with a man on his knees begging for permission. Anything I can do to help this man deal with his issues is going to be better. How can we get there as fast as possible? The quicker, the better. He's been suffering too long. You see, when these pigs took off, they're, I don't know if you call them shepherds, if you tend pigs. Does anybody know what you call that? A swine, a pig herder, a swine herder. All right, that sounds good. Swine herder. We're going to go with it. Um, no, we're not. We're going to go with shepherd because I'm not going to remember that. <laughs> the shepherd, the caretaker of these pigs, owner of them freaks out. Anybody else freak out if you just lost that giant amount of income? I'd be right there. I'd be freaking out. He freaks out. He goes back to town and he tells the entire town about what just happened down by the shore. Now, when he came back to town going, you're never going to guess what happened down my shore. They're going to go, what did the dude do this time? Did he attack one of your pigs? Did he try to eat one of your pigs? Did he attack you? You know, they're thinking about the man. They're not thinking about the pigs. And the guy comes out and he's like, you're never going to believe they, they, all the pigs are gone. And everyone in the town is completely going, we want to see that. We want to see this. 
What goes through your mind when you see this mass exodus of pig and now this guy sitting here? Something happens when they're gone, though, and this man's delivering the news. The man who was demon-possessed finds himself at the feet of Jesus, completely at peace. They find a spare set of clothes. I don't know if they piecemealed it from the disciples because there were no clothes around in this spot, right? My guess is the disciples had to give something of theirs to make sure that this man could be clothed. And he finds himself sitting at the feet of Jesus in his complete right mind. He's at peace. He is healed. He is delivered. He came in contact with Jesus the healer and the deliverer from being this crazy, angry, aggressive, naked, possessed man. He'd experienced extreme brokenness, received Jesus, and experienced healing that made him look different. So different that when the people came back, they were terrified. You see, there's two moments of being terrified in this story. The first is when the disciples see the power that Jesus has over nature, and they were terrified. The other part of being terrified is the people seeing this man in his right mind. They didn't know what to do with him. What do you do with the problem when it's not a problem anymore? This is the tension that they've got. They don't know what to do. They're scared. I, I understand that. And they, they see Jesus and they see the man and they, they don't come up and go, wow, Jesus, look what you did. They're like, whoa, Jesus, this is a problem. Because here's the thing. They had never learned how to deal with this guy. They didn't know what to do with him. And it wasn't ideal what the situation that they were in, but they had found a way to contain their problem just enough. They found a way to put their problem away where they, they could pretend that it's dead in the tombs and still try to go about in their life like, I'm fine, I'm fine. But what do you do when Jesus meets that problem? What do you do when you don't have the excuse anymore to scare your kids? What do you do when the very thing that you use to disqualify yourself from going to a certain place has been healed? And how many of us are dealing with this, that there are issues in our life that we have become fine with dealing with? We have become totally okay and saying, it's enough in the tombs to where I don't have to deal with it. For now, I'm fine and I'll let it stay there. I don't have to address the pain of that situation, the, the hurt from being rejected. I can take the, the abuse that's come into my life and for right now I'll just section it off and I think, if I'm being completely honest, the fear that most of us carry is, is that we're in attention. If you follow Jesus, I believe that you believe Christ can bring healing to those things, but you and I are terrified of what happens if he actually does. If I let Jesus into that spot of my life, that means things might have to change, won't it? Yes. That's exactly what it means. I will not lie to you and say, it gets better. Everything is fine. You see this man? He received complete healing. But that town still didn't want him. He found hope. And they were like, mm-mm. Jesus, you need to get out of here. 
You need to go back to where you came from. You are too disruptive for us. And for some of us, I think this is what we do and we think that it's following Jesus. Is You know what? I'm going to just... I'm just going to push it aside and I'll show up on Sundays or I'll show up at Life Group and, and I'll be okay. No, that's not what following Jesus is about. And I'm not, I'm not saying that we need to expose all of our life to Christ at one point and be like, show me everything. That would be overwhelming for us because let me tell you, the, the well of our pain is very deep. That, that, that cave goes back much further than any of us know. And I think God's grace, he doesn't show us the depths of it. He's like, cool, we could take this a step at a time. But it takes us to invite him into it. He will not force his way into the grave. He was resurrected from it. He says, I know what life looks like from there, and I can help you find that. But I think more of us are like the townspeople than this demonized man. More of us are scared of the power that Jesus could carry and the freedom that he could bring to our lives because we've become somewhat comfortable with it. These are your chains. This is what binds you. This is what keeps you from the freedom that God has for your life that you would not be bound by the things of your past, the sin that you think overtakes you. Um, maybe it's that unfair war that you're battling. And Christ says, do you, do you really want to be free? If you do, I could do that. But we often pray half-hearted prayers, don't we? God, would you bring healing to that man down there? Just keep him down there. You see, the town is going to have to address it. And their way of addressing it is, Jesus, get out. And all this man wanted to do was say, Jesus, can I come with you? He was willing to put himself in a boat, being a guy from the other side, so that he could go back to the other side of the shore where he was guaranteed to be hated. But that was better than staying home because all he wanted to be was with Jesus. And you know what Jesus tells him? Jesus is great. He just looks at him and he says, you know, You don't get to come with us. Your life is so different. I need you to share what's happened to you with your family and your friends. You stay here. And his healing is the very thing that he's supposed to bring. Did he receive some great theological training? Did he go to some seminary, took all the class? No, he had his story of healing. And that's all that Jesus asked him to use. I was once mocked, chained, naked, and bruised, and now I am free and hopeful and clothed. That's his story. But it tells us that he didn't just share it at home. Do you know where he went? He went to the 10 biggest cities. Why? Because when Christ really brings freedom to our life, it, it absolutely involves life change. And when he brings that freedom to us, it's not so that we would be um, worse off but we will be freer to share the gospel of Jesus with people around us because it's like, oh, but you're just being a weirdo about this. You're just sharing constantly. And like, would you ever shut up about Jesus? It's like, would you rather me scream and cut myself at night or tell you about Jesus? Because those are the two options that I was sitting in. Let me tell you about the man who made me free. But too many of us, I believe, are still bound in darkness and we're cool with it because we've somehow figured out a way to live.
the lie that you and I are believing is this is all that life has. Jesus says, I have come that you may have life and life to the full. And so this morning, what happens when dangerous people meet Jesus? He offers them freedom and a changed life. I don't know what you're dealing with this morning. I don't know what the Holy Spirit is prompting in your heart that's just under the surface and you're thinking, Pastor Jimmy, I'd stop it. Like, I don't want to go there. I won't make you. Some of you just know there is something sitting on your soul right now. You feel it in the pit of your stomach, your heart. Something right here is just kind of like, and it's not you're getting queasy, but there's something happening and you're like, what is that? That is the presence of the Holy Spirit telling me there's something here. And I will tell you something about Jesus. And I'll tell you something about the Holy Spirit as they are gentle. He does not come at this man with a sledgehammer, does he? He doesn't come with him at shame and guilt, but he comes and invites him to experience freedom. Our Savior is gentle with us. And he walks with us. This morning, as we approach the communion table and prepare to approach this and receive the body and blood of Christ, I want us to take a moment of silence and and chewing through in this moment and just ask the Holy Spirit, what is it? What is it that I've stopped praying for healing for because I just, where am I half-heartedly praying for that? And I know that I believe you could do it, but I'm scared. I'm scared of what it's going to cost me. If you're thinking, I'm the only one who's wrestling through this, you are not. Even this moment, I know something I need to deal with with God in this minute to go, sorry. I'm just scared. What are you scared of Jesus really bringing healing to? Let's just take a moment and ask the Holy Spirit to reveal that to us. Holy Spirit, in this moment, we invite you to search us. Just like David asked, would you search us and know us? As you came across that boat, stepped out onto the shore and were met with aggression, I confess there are times I feel like I do that, I know we do that. We meet you on the offensive because we're scared of what could happen if you really are who you say you are and if you really can bring healing to our life. So in this moment, I just ask for the grace that you have offered us. Holy Spirit, would you reveal maybe just one area that we are bound by and scared of being freed from so that we can say, I submit that to you and I take this one step towards you. Would you give us a word, a picture, something in this moment, Jesus. in this moment I, I just see so many of us feeling like we're chained 
and there's that giant block on the wall with that, the, 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 the hex screws that are on there screwing it in, and we are tugging and feeling like we've been tugging so long, and some of us have been battling the same thing, thinking this is just the way it's going to be, and we invite you, Jesus, to break chains in this moment. Chains of fear that the enemy has placed, chains of anxiety, chains of anger, chains of rage, chains of infidelity, these chains uh, change that, that are they're just holding us and we think it'll never change that the addiction that's sitting there that someone right now is just yanking thinking it's not going to change. You can do that. And so, Jesus, would you break the links that hold us so deeply? Holy Spirit, would you fill us with your presence so that we could celebrate freedom and say, I once was, but now I'm. Here's my story. Jesus, bring freedom. In your name we pray. Amen.